When something happens to your car, you might say, But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. When something happens to your car, you might say, But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Before we begin the episode, I am so excited to announce my partnership with Get Vocal. It's a super cool streaming app for podcasters. It's basically a compliment to this podcast. Every Thursday, starting April 9th at 7 p.m. Central, I'll be hosting my own true crime segment, going over some of the topics that are of interest to me and of interest to you. So download the app at Get Vocal, and I'll see you there. Explicit content is found in this episode, so listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the True Crime Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Lainey. On Halloween 1985, an hour after leaving the courtroom, a Los Angeles Police Department detective, was assassinated in front of his small son. His last act of love was to protect his child. A police detective has many enemies. So, would they find his killer? Okay, on to the show. In October 1984, George Carpenter, who was managing a United Artists Theater, was with another man, taking the day's deposits to the bank, when they were robbed at gunpoint by two men. George was able to provide the lead investigator, Detective Thomas Williams, with the license plate of the vehicle. The vehicle was quickly linked to a suspect, Daniel S. Jenkins. Daniel protested his innocence to Detective Williams, but admitted his guilt to one of his acquaintances. George was able to identify Daniel in a lineup and again at the preliminary hearing. Daniel Jenkins was an entrepreneur who owned his own limousine company called Sir Dan's Limousine Service. He had been arrested previously in 1979 for assault with a deadly weapon for shooting a man whose son had filed a police report against him. The facts of that case were Horace Monroe Jr. claimed Daniel Jenkins approached him as he was getting into his car on November 22, 1978. Daniel was accompanied by a man named Ali, later identified as Ali Bryant, and both were armed. Daniel told Horace Jr. to get out of the vehicle, and when he did, Daniel and Ali beat him, requiring 30 stitches in his forehead. It was revealed under cross-examination that Horace Jr. was in the act of removing the wheels from Daniel's Corvette. The next day, Horace Monroe Sr. discovered Daniel across the street from the older man's home. Horace Sr. stopped at his truck to get a shovel with which to arm himself. Daniel opened fire on Horace Sr., hitting him in the shoulder. Horace Sr. and Jr. both provided inconsistent testimony. As they had said previously, there were words exchanged prior to the assault, 
but under testimony, they said no contact had been made prior to the assault. On July 4, 1985, George was eating in a restaurant when he was shot in the face, chest, and legs. George Carpenter survived the attack, although he had to have numerous surgeries. Once he was well enough, George left the Los Angeles area for fear of further attempts on his life. The attempted murder was unsolved until the events of October 31, 1985, shed light onto the shooting of George Carpenter. In October 1985, Daniel Jenkins was scheduled to go on trial for the robbery of George Carpenter. However, Daniel Jenkins had other plans, believing that without any witnesses, there could be no trial, telling Jeffrey Bryant, no witness, no case. Daniel first spoke to Jeffrey Bryant, recruiting him to kill Detective Williams before his trial began. However, Jeffrey was led to believe that Detective Williams was a security guard, so when Jeffrey realized he was actually a law enforcement officer, he backed out. Two to three weeks before Halloween, Daniel spoke with David Bentley about needing someone killed and asked for help finding a killer. David found Tyrone Hicks, who spoke with David and Daniel about the terms of the contract. To finalize the deal, Daniel told Tyrone to come to his house. Daniel went with David Bentley to a so-called lookout point and described a Toyota pickup with a camper shell, saying the man driving was the intended target. Daniel explained when David saw the truck, he was supposed to set off pagers so the others could know the detective was heading their way. David waited 20 minutes, did not see the vehicle, and so activated the others' pagers to notify them. No one replied, so he left the area. Meanwhile, Tyrone Hicks was at a school and saw the vehicle, but it left before Tyrone could shoot the driver. Daniel was angry and castigated all involved for allowing the witness to live because the witness, Detective Williams, could testify against him. It was promised that the detective would be taken care of before he could testify. Later, David Bentley informed Tyrone he would likely only get paid two or three hundred dollars, at which point Tyrone pulled out of the plan. Voltaire Williams, considered by many to be Daniel's lieutenant, recruited Aladron Hunter to commit the murder. Voltaire told Aladron it was specifically for preventing witness testimony. On October 24, 1985, before the trial began, Voltaire and Aladron visited Daniel's home, where Voltaire obtained a gun he gave to Aladron. Aladron and Voltaire then got into separate vehicles and drove a few blocks past a school, where Voltaire told Aladron to wait for an orange and white Toyota truck with a camper, then shoot the victim as he drove by. Voltaire said he had to get information for Daniel as to when this would happen. When Detective Williams did drive by, Aladron could not pull the trigger, and when meeting Voltaire later, told him he noticed the intended victim appeared to be a police officer and not a security guard. On October 25, 1985, two suspicious individuals, later identified as Reuben Anthony Moss and Dwayne Moody, were seen in the area of the First Baptist Church School in Canoga Park. A third man, his face obscured, was in the back seat of the vehicle. On October 31, 1985, Detective Williams testified at court about the robbery of George Carpenter. After, then-Deputy District Attorney Maureen Duffy Lewis had questioned Daniel, Detective Williams leaned over to her and said, Hey, Mo, he would kill us if he could. Maureen blew it off by saying, Don't be ridiculous. 
But Detective Williams just said, No, I know a killer when I see one. Deputy DA Duffy Lewis then questioned Detective Williams as a rebuttal witness to Jenkins' testimony. After court recessed for the day, she and Detective Williams went upstairs to call their respective spouses and make arrangements to pick up their children and participate in Halloween festivities. They drove their vehicles down the highway and Detective Williams honked and waved as they went their separate ways. Detective Williams signed his son out at 5.40 p.m. that afternoon and... As his six-year-old son Ryan was about to get into the truck, Detective Williams saw a vehicle approach with a man wearing a ski mask. Detective Williams had just enough time to tell Ryan to duck before gunfire rang through the Halloween evening. Detective Williams attempted to draw his service weapon, but he died before he could. When the gunfire ended, Ryan went around to his father's side of the truck and saw him slumped against the truck. When others felt it was safe to check on Detective Williams, they saw him, dead against his truck, with his son, Ryan, weeping nearby. It had been approximately an hour since Detective Williams had been in court, and now he was dead. I'm going to pause the case right here so you can hear a word from our sponsors. Listen. If there was ever a time to place a wine order, it would be right now. I have so enjoyed Wink's service and the variety of wines they offer, which change often. Wink's wine experts select wines matched to your taste. There is nothing like coming home to a box of delicious Wink wine selected just for you. It's legit the best part of my month. There are no membership fees. You can skip any month and cancel any time. You can also send gifts to your friends. Discover great wine today. Go to trywink.com slash truecrimefanclub and you'll get $20 off your first shipment. Once again, that's T-R-Y-W-I-N-C dot com slash truecrimefanclub to get $20 off your first shipment. And I'm back to tell you again about Audible. It truly has been a lifesaver this whole week. So what I'm focusing on while I'm staying home is listening to as many books and podcasts as I can to catch up on my ever-growing list. Now, remember with Audible, you get a new credit every month to use on the content of your choice. That could be two Audible originals or that new book you've been dying to read. Oh, and you get access to the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post. If you can't decide what to listen to, don't worry. You can keep your credits for up to a year and then use them to binge a whole series if you want to. To give Audible a try, go to audible.com slash TCFCP or text TCFCP to 500-500. And it wouldn't be me if I didn't tell you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp has been my therapy solution for over a year now. I'm so thankful for BetterHelp because I have a resource right at my fingertips to talk about my anxiety and my depression and really anything that comes to my mind that I can't talk to anybody else about. BetterHelp assesses your needs and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can log in whenever you want, send voice messages, or even have a video or phone session. BetterHelp is flexible to your needs. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today, so join me and the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Visit BetterHelp.com TCFC for 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com for 10% off your first month.
witnesses recalled a light-colored car driving up and down the street around 5.30 p.m. before they heard gunshots. After the gunshots were fired, this vehicle was seen racing away from the scene at about 60 to 65 miles per hour. One witness stopped the vehicle to tell the driver his headlights were not on and was not sure if it was a Caucasian, Black, or Latino man driving. On November 1st, a composite sketch of the suspected gunman was released by then-Los Angeles Police Department Chief Daryl Gates. Chief Gates called the murder an assassination and said investigators were focusing on Detective Williams' recent cases to see if there was a link. The first case they looked at was Daniel Jenkins, since there had been an attempt to murder another witness in that case with the July 4th shooting of George Carpenter. Investigators quickly dismissed this idea, since eyewitnesses thought the shooter was Caucasian or Latino and Daniel was Black. Chief Gates also said additional officers would be assigned to the San Fernando courtroom where Daniel's trial was ongoing. Jurors sent a note to the judge that morning because they had heard of Detective Williams' death, but Judge Satil told them not to consider anything you may have heard, read, or seen in the news media, including the television and focus only on the testimony they had heard. The jury returned with the verdict of guilty later in the day. While in custody from this charge, Daniel was charged with the murder of Detective Thomas Williams in early November 1985. Three others were arrested on Saturday, November 3rd, but the news was withheld until Tuesday, November 6th, so the gun could be recovered. The weapon was described as a converted MAC-10, or an Uzi, but it was a fully automatic weapon. The three arrested on Saturday were Dwayne Moody, Voltaire Williams, and Ruben Antonio Moss. All three were from Los Angeles, and all three were black, which did not match the description witnesses had provided. However, Chief Gates stated in a press conference, investigators believe the gunman had worn light-colored makeup or paint to throw off witnesses. A $15,000 reward had been posted by the Police Protective League the day before the arrests were announced, but it is not certain if anyone was able to claim the reward. Dwayne Moody had prior arrests, including a conviction for assault with a deadly weapon and armed robbery, and misdemeanor charges stemming from trying to purchase clothing with a stolen credit card. The card was issued to Kerry Gordy, the son of Motown Records president, Barry Gordy. Ruben Antonio Moss, who went by the name Tony, had no criminal history aside from traffic violations, said his father Roy Moss, an accountant who lived with his son close to Exposition Boulevard. Roy said his son was only arrested because he had testified as a material witness for Daniel Jenkins in the robbery trial. Tony had played football for Dorsey High School. His father warned Tony about associating with Daniel, but Daniel was the younger Moss's boss at the limo service. In early March 1986, two other suspects were arrested in the slaying, David Bentley and Reese Cooper. They both pleaded their innocence at their arraignment and were held on a $500,000 bond. The joint trial of Daniel Jenkins and Dwayne Moody began in early January 1988. By this time, nine people had been identified as part of the assassination plot, but four of these had been granted immunity in exchange for their testimony against Daniel and Dwayne. Three of these four were Jeffrey Bryant, who had been asked outright by Jenkins to kill Detective Williams, Aladron Hunter, who pulled out of the job when he found out he would only be paid less than $300, and Tyrone Hicks, 
who could not go through with it once he saw Ryan Williams walking from school with his dad. I could not find the name of the fourth person offered immunity. Elihu Broomfield, who had been friends with Daniel Jenkins years before testified for the prosecution. Elihu, a security guard, was in the courthouse during Daniel's robbery trial of 1985 and happened into Daniel's courtroom. The two had lunch together that day after making a short trip to Daniel's house. Daniel told his friend he would not be set up by a police officer and he would seek revenge. While at Daniel's house, he showed Elihu a gun that appeared to be an Uzi and told him it would fire 10 to 20 rounds per second. He said he had another one like it at a friend's house and he had more than one person to carry out a contract. Elihu also overheard two phone conversations between Daniel and another party where Daniel said everybody had to be together at 1,600 hours or it would not work. Daniel also said to Elihu he would not sit in jail while the man who set him up would be at a picnic enjoying his life, and he would, quote, eliminate him. David Bentley testified he went to Daniel's home around 8 o'clock p.m. on Halloween 1985. While David worked on Dwayne Moody's car, Daniel excitedly said he had taken care of that ass. Daniel told Dwayne he was surprised at how many rounds had been fired with such a light touch. He then finished by saying, I got that ass myself. I had to do it. I mean, I had to do it myself. Guys won't take care of business. I had to take care of this myself. Dwayne delivered a green duffel bag to Ollie Woodson's house that night, saying skates were in the bag and he needed to get rid of them. Ollie showed him where to put the bag in the closet and Moody left. A few days later, Dwayne's girlfriend called Ali and said to take everything out except for the Uzi. She added that the police were on their way. Ali removed everything and looked at the modified MAC-10 assault weapon and clip. When the police arrived to collect the bag, he handed it over. 17 rounds were fired from that weapon, eight of which hit Detective Williams. Other rounds hit his truck and even the interior of the school. During the sentencing portion of his trial, Daniel Jenkins decided to fire his two attorneys and represent himself. Some say this was done out of ego. Others said it was to try and lay the groundwork for appeals based on ineffective counsel. One of his attorneys, Harold Price, believed it was done because Daniel wanted to testify on his own behalf, but Harold and the other attorney believed it was a bad idea. Daniel had sat quietly at the defense table throughout the trial, showing little emotion and dressed nicely. However, once he got up to represent himself, the jurors were able to hear from the defendant. One juror, Ricky Gilmore, said when Daniel started cross-examining the witnesses, they saw him as a bright, articulate, shrewd man who could carry out an intricate murder plot. Daniel was praised by attorneys and others in the courtroom because he thought to call material witnesses to the stand to testify as to his character. Daniel was born in Kansas, but had moved to Los Angeles with his mother, separating from his siblings. He never knew who his father was, and his mother suffered from mental health issues. He was placed in foster care for several years because of her infirmity, and when he left, it was in the care of his grandmother. His grandmother also took care of his mother. When his grandmother passed away a month before the assassination of Detective Williams, Daniel was devastated. People testified he was a loving father and godfather. 
The testimony angered Norma Williams, Detective Williams's widow, particularly when she was told she could not deliver a victim impact statement until after Daniel's sentencing. This is normally allowed under the 1982 California Victims' Bill of Rights Act, but a 1987 Supreme Court ruling in Booth v. Maryland superseded this law, saying that statements from survivors could not be considered before sentencing. However, when Tony Moss was sentenced on December 15, 1989, since he was not up for the death penalty, she was allowed to give a statement. She said to him, Tony Moss, you deserve everything you've got coming to you. You are a calculating, cold-blooded murderer, and you deserve every bit of pain and anguish coming to you all the days of your life. The sentencing had been delayed after two jurors were dismissed because they saw reports that Daniel had threatened to kill the prosecutor and several witnesses. Daniel Jenkins was given the death penalty, and Tony Moss was granted life in prison without parole. Daniel Jenkins is 64 years of age. While in prison, Daniel joined other death row inmates in a federal lawsuit to protest that not allowing reproductive rights for those on death row is cruel and unusual punishment. These inmates stated it was possible their names would die out if not allowed to procreate. Tony Moss is at Solano and is 58 years of age. David L. Brinkley was given life without parole and is at Mule Creek State Prison. David is 55 years of age. Voltaire Williams was given 25 years to life but was released on parole in 2017. Reese Cooper was acquitted of all charges. Dwayne Moody went to trial, which resulted in a hung jury of 10 to 2. The judge dismissed the charge since there was overwhelming evidence that he was innocent. Dwayne was in the county jail for three and a half years in a cell next to Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, who continually tried to convert him to Satanism. Moody studied law while in jail and, after his release, conferred with other defendants including Rick James and O.J. Simpson, Dwayne's third cousin. Norma Williams, Thomas Williams's widow, became a member of the LAPD Family Support Program since they assisted her through Thomas's death. Norma said Ryan had a hard time dealing with his father's death. Before he had turned 10, Ryan had acted out by shoplifting, lying, and destroying his belongings. Norma sought help and got Ryan counseling, which helped. Norma and Thomas's oldest child, Susie, was 17 when her dad was cut down by an assassin's gun. Thomas Williams had been a 13-year veteran of the Los Angeles Police Department. Before he became a law enforcement officer, he had graduated from military school and was offered a commission, which he turned down, because being a police officer had been a lifelong dream. There were at least 1,000 police officers at his funeral, wearing black bands around their badges to show their state of mourning. Thomas was an involved father who had recently taken up coaching the sport of soccer so he could spend more time with his son, Ryan. He was a dedicated detective who left no stone unturned. George Carpenter sued the city of Los Angeles for not providing him with security, knowing Daniel Jenkins was bent on revenge. In 1994, he was granted a $1.2 million settlement. Daniel Jenkins requested a new trial in 2004, citing evidence the prosecution had never provided to the defense. It was denied, and he remains on death row at San Quentin. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? 
Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate, subscribe, and positively review the show on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on most social media platforms, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast, Instagram at True Crime Fan Club, and of course, our website is TrueCrimeFanClub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email, TCFCPod at gmail.com. Producer for the show is Nico at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or WeTalkOfDreams.com. This episode was researched and written by Susie St. James, content editing by Brittany Martinez, and I'm your host, Lainey. Si tienes ciertas afecciones crónicas como enfermedad cardíaca, asma, diabetes, y tienes 19 años o más, 52, 36, 42. Puedes estar en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico acerca de vacunarte con Prevnar 20, vacuna conjugada antineumocósica 20 valente, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocósica con una sola dosis. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones contra 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. El efecto secundario más reportado fue dolor en el área de la inyección. Para más efectos secundarios comunes e información completa de prescripción, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar20 en español.com. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar20. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.